0: that. This one you want them to work, right? Hmm. Okay, do it this way. Throughout the Old and New Testament, the longing, desire, and cry of God's people can be summarized by the opening petitions of the Lord's Prayer. That God's name would be hallowed on the earth, that God's kingdom would come and his righteous and holy will be done on the earth, and that evil will be judged and be done away with. And today it's no exception. As we see evil propagated against the weak and vulnerable in our society and against the people of God in many countries around the world who are being treated like lamb for the slaughter. The cry is, how long will you allow these evil acts to continue? When, O Lord, will you vindicate your righteous name and your people? That's the cry. Well, our chapter today gives us the answer in no uncertain terms. God has appointed a day in the timeline of history in which he will do just that. Things are not going to continue as they are. There is a day coming when all wrong will be made right and all who have rebelled against God and rejected his son Jesus Christ and hated and persecuted his people will be judged. That day will come suddenly, and it will be terrifying for those who don't know the Lord. Our passage today in Revelation will be very sobering. For those who don't know the Lord, I pray that it will shake you out of your false and sense of security and cause you to run to Christ before it's too late. And for us believers, may we wait patiently for that day, and rejoice in the hope of seeing our blessed Savior face to face. Just a reminder as to where we are in the book and the chapter, Christ has been declared the only one worthy to receive the scroll which contains the decrees of God for the future of this world and universe. And in this chapter, he begins to execute those decrees symbolized by the opening of the seven seals on the scroll. In the first four seals, we saw the apocalyptic horsemen, each sent to carry out certain judgment on the earth. Uh, Conquest, war and conquest, uh, bloody internal conflict, famine and inflation, and a wide-scale pestilence and death. Today, we will cover the opening of the fifth and sixth seals. Look with me at chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain from the word of God, for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. let ask the Lord's help again. Heavenly Father, we come before this sobering passage, Lord, and we thank you. Lord, that you put it here in Scripture for us, knowing that you are holy, sovereign, and true, and that you will accomplish your purposes in the earth. Strengthen our faith, Lord, in you, Father. In the midst of all that's going on, may we keep our eyes upon you as the one who is sovereign and true God and who is accomplishing your purposes in the earth. We pray, deliver us from fear and anxiety. Lord, help us to live in light of that day, that awful and terrible day for those who don't know the Lord, and yet a day of rejoicing for us who are in Christ. Use your word, Lord, to awaken consciences of those who are, have a full security. May they run to Christ today and encourage, we pray, the hearts of your saints. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now that the four horsemen have ridden, The scene changes to an altar in heaven, under which are the souls of the faithful martyrs. Who do these souls represent? Well, they represent the souls of all those who have been killed for their faith, from righteous Abel all the way to Zechariah the priest in the Old Testament, which happens to be the first and the last martyr in the Old Testament. And from righteous Stephen in the New Testament all the way to the end before the Lord returns. Anyone who would be killed for Christ's sake during that time. Their righteous blood will be crying out to God for judgment. Now for the sake of time, brethren, I'm not going to cover the future's position on who who these souls are. You can see me afterwards, we can talk, but I'll just say this, that as we read the book of Revelation, and it's good for us to keep this in mind, we must always bear in mind that it was written for the benefit of believers, both in John's day and for the believers throughout the time of Christ's first coming and his second coming. So it has just as much application to us today as it does to any Christians throughout the Christian age. Notice also the proximity to the throne, their proximity to the throne. They are in the very presence of God, as promised to those who overcome in Revelation 3.12, that it says they will be a pillar in the temple of my God. In the Old Testament, sacrifices, uh, 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 sacrifice of the blood of the animal was poured on the base of the altar. Uh, of the burnt offerings. Uh, this blood contained the life of the animal, as we read in Leviticus 17, 11. From God's perspective, their blood was a drink offering poured out to him. As Paul says of himself, as a drink offering, I am being poured out unto the Lord. That was just before he was about to be executed for his faith. And it is clear from verse 9, That they all died as a result of their faithful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how are we to understand their request? Are they asking for revenge? Uh, Is that what they're asking for? When they said, "How long before? uh, How long uh, before God will judge those who have shed their blood on the earth?" That's their cry. That's their question. Is that what they're? Are they asking for revenge? Let's think through this a little bit. Remember where they are. They are in the, pl- in the presence of Christ. They're in, the, they're in the place of blessedness. They have already received their reward. Getting revenge on those on the earth will not add any more to the blessing that they're already enjoying. So that's not what they... They're not asking for revenge. That is not their prayer. Uh, their plea is, however... And desire is that the sovereign Lord, holy and true, be glorified in his kingdom, establish his name hallowed, and his will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. That is their prayer. Uh, you see, uh, persecution done against God's people is ultimately done against who? Himself. Remember what he told, what did he tell Paul? Paul, Paul, soul, soul, why are you persecuting? My people? No, he said, why are you persecuting me? In other words, what's done to us, it's done to the Lord, as he tells us in John 15, verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they've done it, they don't know who sent me. So what's done to us is ultimately really an affront to God himself. He's the one that's being, that the the hatred is against him, not against you or me. It's against the Lord. And so his name, his honor is at stake. And so they're saying, Lord, may vindicate your honor, vindicate your name on the earth, on those who have shed our blood for your name's sake. That is their prayer. In verse 11, we have God's response to them. Look with me in verse 11. He says, Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. In the book of Revelation, white robes are a symbol of blessedness and purity. Blessedness and purity. We read in the the redeemed throng in Revelation 7.13, it says they were dressed in white robes that have been what? Washed by the blood of the Lamb. Washed by the blood of the Lamb. What makes them righteous is not their good works because because we also read in Revelation 19.8 that these robes are a symbol of the good works of the saints. But remember, our good works are worthless if they're not washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so these white robes, are a symbol of the righteousness of Christ and their works which they have done before God in his name. Now someone may ask, how can souls be given robes? robes souls don't wear robes. Souls don't have a physical body. Well, remember that this is symbolic and figurative language. What is being told to these souls is... Rest in the enjoyment of their blessed state until their fellow martyrs join them. And at that point in time, which is at the at some point in time in the future, their prayer will be fully answered. But right now, what these robes are to symbolize and say, rejoice in, in what you have in Christ and your presence and the blessedness of your condition, and look. To God, in his time, he will bring the fruition of bringing the rest of the martyrs uh, and joining and accomplishing your, uh, answering your prayer in full. Let me make a couple of points of application here. Brethren, the knowledge that our God is sovereign, holy, and true, as these martyrs called him, ought to cause us to live in confidence and not fear. He is sovereign, in that, that means in full control of the entire universe. He is holy, meaning that he cannot overlook sin. He must judge sin. Thirdly, he is true, meaning that he is faithful. He is faithful, and his word will come to pass. Every promise that he has given must come to pass. Therefore, brethren, if we fear and cower then we, are, we lack faith because the worst thing that they can do to us is to kill us, which will usher us into the very presence of God. They can kill our bodies, but as you see, where are the souls? Where are the souls? In heaven, in the presence of the Lord. As Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body, which have no power to destroy the soul. Fear him who cast body and soul into hell. So we must remind ourselves that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let us entrust our souls to the faithful God and move forward in faith and obedience. Now we may be an object we may be objects of ridicule now, and some places believers are slaughtered like lambs, even as our Savior was. In Revelation 11:10 it says, uh, we're told that the inhabitants of the earth—this is another name for the unbelievers. They, uh, the Scripture, Revelation, calls them the inhabitants of the earth. They are the unbelievers. Rejoice at the death of the two witnesses in Revelation 11:10. We read in chapter 13:8 that they worship these inhabitants, worship the beast, and the. Uh, and in chapter 17, too, it says they were intoxicated with the wine of the great prostitute. And what was that wine? The blood of the saints. They are intoxicated with the blood of the martyrs, of the saints. So, uh, be assured, brethren, our cause is not forgotten by God. Let's keep loving our enemies that we too were, uh, remembering that we too were one-time enemies of God. And so, let's wait on the Lord And rejoice in our blessed hope of being redeemed and given white robes of Christ's righteousness. And let us rest in the hope of the resurrection, knowing that it is all a matter of time. All a matter of time. The same promise given to the believers, to the souls. Souls, here are your white robes that you have in Jesus Christ. Put those on. Remember what God, what Christ has done for you. He's given you the robe of righteousness. Rejoice in that hope. Be blessed and leave the rest to God. And so we're the same way, brothers and sisters, we see a lot happening. We're, God is saying, here's your, remember, you have a robe of righteousness. Rejoice in the hope that is yours. Don't look at the, at the world in Despair. Remember, God has done great things for you in Christ. You're not going to be any more blessed now than you are. Of course, you will be in the presence of the Lord. But your reward is the same. You've been given Christ's righteousness now. Rejoice in that hope. And there's coming a day when every wrong will be made right. You can be certain. Romans, as Paul told the believers in Rome, he said, Beloved, never revenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And in the, in the parable, to, uh, in the parable the, uh, of the widow, the persistent widow, the Lord gives these words. He says uh, in, uh, that God will answer the prayers and the cry of his people. He says in Luke 18, he says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So the Lord hears our cry, brethren. He sees the injustice and he will and has a day and time in which he will bring about justice. We could be certain of that. The sixth seal is a direct answer to the question of the martyrs. Remember the martyrs, how long? When are you going to avenge our blood upon those who have shed our righteous blood? Sixth seal is an answer. And the answer is not given in terms of days or years, but it conveys the certainty that their blood will be vindicated. The just and holy God will not overlook evil in the world. Look with me at verses 12 to 14. When he opened the sixth seal. I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The the moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by the gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. In these verses, we have a preview of the final day, the great day of God's wrath. The scene depicted here, brethren, is most terrifying. It is most horrifying, which should make the most hardened atheist shudder at the sight. We see a similar description of this day in the gospel, as our Lord was responding to the question as to when the end will come. Look with me at... Look with me at Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. Matthew 24, verse 29. Remember, the apostles are asking, when will be the end of time? When will, these, uh, when will the end come? This is his response. He says, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. Exact same words that we just read in Revelation 6, uh, 12 and following. Uh, and, And it says, and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with loud trumpets call and they will gather his elect from the four winds of the earth now let's look briefly at these happenings what what is happening here on that awful and dreadful day what is happening the first place we read verse 12 that there was a great earthquake a great earthquake this earthquake was unlike any other earthquake to that point. This earthquake will, uh, is going to be so great that it will cause mountains and islands to move out of their place. We've yet to see that. Mountains and islands. Mountains don't move. Right? We talk about, you know, strong as a mountain. Mountains don't move. Well, this earthquake will be move mountains. The people who experienced the earthquake in Turkey and Syria said it was terrifying when you see everything around you, beneath you, and above you begins to shake violently. All your senses of security and stability are gone. And there is nowhere, there is nowhere to run and hide. Nowhere. In the second place, we see cosmic disturbance. Cosmic disturbance. The sun and the moon will cease to shine. Uh, Some folks, brethren, live in the fantasy world of Annie. Remember that song, Annie? The orphan girl of the musical Annie, who think that the sun is always, there's going to be always a bright tomorrow. She says, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there will be sun. Well, I have news for you. It will not always be so. It it, tomorrow is not always going to be brighter for you if you're not in Jesus Christ. So, we read further of cosmic disturbances in verse 13. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by the gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. Now, brethren, bear in mind, this is apocalyptic language. Whenever there's different genres in scripture, and so when you do hermeneutics, when you study hermeneutics, hermeneutics is the, is the study of interpretation, of Bible interpretation. That's what that fancy, as Brother David would say, a $5 word or whatever he says. This is what that means. There's a study of interpreting scripture. And there's, there's uh, uh, principles to follow. When you, when you interpret, her, uh, when you interpret um, apocalyptic language, you don't interpret it like a historical narrative, right? It's, it's totally different. It is figurative, symbolic language, right? So we must understand, because if, if you say a star is falling to the earth, how big is a star? Well, Sun, 93 million miles away, one of the closest stars to us, is about, I think, 40 times the size of the earth. So we need to understand this when this is saying that most likely what we will be seeing is an intense uh, meteor showers and it's going to be on a large scale. Everything that we think can be shaken will be shaken. As it tells us in Hebrews twelve twenty six. Pastor Joe covered this. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So that day is going to be shaking everything that we think is stable today. Peter, say, Peter says in Acts, uh, I think Pastor, you didn't quite get to there, Pastor Joe, in Joel 2.28, he says this, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, fa- Blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Brethren, this is no nuclear holocaust. This is not the doing of any man. Only God can shake the heavens. Only God can make the sky and the sun not shine and the moon turn into blood. Only God can do these things. So don't think for a moment. There will be no mistake about it. Who's doing the shaking? It's not Un Jong Kim. No. Bear in mind, God is going to do the shaking. And so this, and there's no escape. And this will be on a worldwide scale. No escape. No escape. We'll, We'll talk about that in a moment. What will be the response of the inhabitants of the world? Look with me in verses 15 and 17. Verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can Stand. In the, in the first place, brethren, notice who was in the multitude. Who was in the multitude? Seven categories. Seven categories of people are mentioned. This is seven, as you know, in numerology in the book of Revelation. Seven is a number of completeness. In other words, there's nobody that's left. No one's going to escape. Every single person on the planet Seven categories, from the highest of the social class to the lowest, from the king to the slave, from the proud monarch to the hardened military general, the great ones, the powerful ones, the rich ones, the famous, the big names in sports, media and entertainment, presidents and generals and common people, no one will be exempted or given a special privilege. All will be on the same level Plain. How rich you are won't matter. How important in society you are won't matter. How famous you are won't matter. How poor you are won't matter. Your wealth won't do you good. Your house won't be a safe place for you to stay in. Your 401k can't be of any use to you. Your social status won't give you any special privilege. There's only one thing that matters in that point in time on these people's mind. And that is this. How do I escape this wrath? How do I escape? Where can I run? That's the only thing in their mind. They're not thinking about their house. They're not thinking about their wealth. They're not thinking about anything other than where can I run from this wrath? And that is what we see them doing in the following verse. It says, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They fled in terror and wild confusion into the mountains and caves to hide themselves from that wrath. We say, okay, we all try to run away from danger uh, to where we, can, we think it's a place of safety. If a bomb blows off in a marketplace, people scurry and scatter in every direction away from the blast. I mean, that's just common sense, right? You run away from it. Uh, I was speaking to a brother who lives in Syria who was a few hours south of the quake zone. Uh, He said, as soon as the people started to feel the building shaken, immediately everyone ran out into the open fields. And for days, he said, people slept with their clothes on because that way, as soon as they feel the shaking, they can run outside and they're already dressed and prepared to do so. But there's something strange about these folks. You see, those people were running outside because they don't want the building to crumble and crush them. What are these people doing? Did you catch it? Did you catch what they're doing? They're calling on the mountains and the rocks to fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne or from the wrath. They're running into the rocks and say, fall on us. This is insanity. This is not self-preservation. Is it? They would rather die than face the wrath of God. They would rather die than face God's wrath. But you see, this request is futile. This effort is futile. Because there's nothing that can hide them from the wrath of God. God made all things. All he has to do is speak a word. You could be dead for a thousand years and he'll raise you up. You cannot run away from God. There is no running away from God. Isaiah gives us a description of this terror. You can turn there just to get a feel. You see, there were so many verses, I had to be very selective. But but you need to see the, the, the how this is going to be perceived by the people living at the time. Isaiah 13, verse 6. Isaiah 13, verse 6. He says this. Well, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble. Every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed, pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look one at one another. Their faces will be flame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their consolation will not give their light. The sun will be darkened at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. Yes, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. This is, when you read that language, it causes us to shudder in fear and to... Say, what can I do? What can I do to escape that? And we'll we'll get into that in a moment, what you can do. What was it, the question we want to see, what was it that terrified these people? Was it just that the buildings were shaking and rumbling and, and all these cosmic disturbances? What was it? Well, there was another thing that's not exactly mentioned in our passage. Well, we... That's found in 2 Thessalonians 1.7. Let me just read that to you. Here's what they saw, okay? The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What they saw, besides all these cosmic disturbances and the earth reeling and trembling, what they saw with Jesus Christ, coming with His mighty angels with flaming fire to inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and those who reject Him. This is not the lowly, humble Jesus who came riding on a donkey into Jerusalem to be mocked and spat upon and to nail on the cross. No. This is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, coming to execute justice on all those who do not obey the gospel. The first time he came to save and give his life a ransom for many, but the second time he's coming for judgment. Brethren, who has heard? Who has heard of this phrase, the wrath of the Lamb? The wrath of the Lamb. It is all, it's almost incongruous. It's almost contradictory. How can the gentlest of all of God's creatures be angry and wrathful? But the gentle Savior is also the righteous judge. If you reject him as the gentle savior, you will face him as your judge on that final day. Friend, if you think sin is a joke, God's wrath is a joke, hell is a joke. People say, hell this, hell that, right? They have no clue, no idea. Did you hear what it said? It says, your hands will be feeble, absolutely no strength. Your heart will melt like in anguish and pain and dismay. You will be terrified as you see God's wrath and fierce anger with no place to hide because the rocks can't hide you from His face. He doesn't need a bulldozer to pull you out. All He has to do is say, just call your name and you're out. Run to Christ. Run to Christ today. He's the only saved refuge. There's no refuge apart from Jesus Christ to escape the wrath to come. You don't want to face the wrath of the Lamb, then receive the the Savior, who is the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. Notice fourthly, their question, verse 17. Their cry is this It says, For great, and their cry, it says, For great day of their wrath has come. Who? And stand. Who can stand? Who can stand? Who can endure? As Pastor Joe read from Joel, who can endure? This is the great and terrible day of the Lord that the prophets spoke about in the Old Testament. Joel two, Pastor Joe read that. Zephaniah one, Haggai two, and many many others. Zephaniah, we read, the great day of the Lord is near, near, and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and de- devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. He says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither silver nor gold, nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all inhabitants of the earth. Very sobering. Why am I, why am I giving you all this picture? Am I trying to scare you? Well, as we will see, this is not meant to scare the people of God. It's not meant to scare the people of God, because we have a hope, because Christ has bore our wrath, and that wrath that God has reserved for the ungodly has been already suffered by our Lord Jesus Christ upon that cross. But it is meant to sober us, brethren. It is meant to sober us, and we'll make some application, and especially for those who don't know the Lord this is help you to help you see what lies ahead for you their question is who can stand now you see it makes complete sense who can stand against god who can stand against his fury who can stand against his justice there is nowhere to stand no leg to stand on nothing Not even the proud, arrogant, and boastful media personality or the athlete or Hollywood celebrity or politician. None could stand. In chapter 7, we will see who is left standing. It's those who have been sealed by by the Lord and who have washed their blood in the precious blood of the Lamb. Washed their garments in the precious blood. They will be standing. They will be standing. You see, only the blood of the Lamb can shield us from the wrath of the Lamb. Only the blood of the Lamb can shield us from the wrath of the Lamb. You can put that on your, it could be a saying that you could put on your refrigerator. That is the only way you can stand is if you have repented of your sin, received forgiveness that Christ came to give us in his death upon the cross. Joel says in Joel 2.32, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now for many, this will be unexpected. Totally, totally unexpected this day. This day will come as a total shock for many people. Most people will live today without any thought of the coming day of judgment. Whether they are professionals who are working secure and comfortable living, uh, uh, for making a comfortable living for themselves, or poor people who are living from day to day, it matters not. There are very few, if any, are thinking about that day. Matthew 24:37 says, as, "As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of God of man." For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Totally unexpected. People will be going about business as usual, doing all the normal things people do with total disregard to their eternal soul as the days in the same way as in the days of Noah. He was building the ark, and I think it took him about somewhere between 55 to 75 years to build the ark. And all the while, what's he doing? With every nail, with every board, he's saying, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. Flee the wrath to come, flee, because it says he was a preacher of righteousness. And so by him doing this, and people say, what are you, crazy? You're building building an ark on dry ground. There's nowhere, no water anywhere in sight. What are you doing, crazy Noah? And Noah's saying, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And they mocked at him. They mocked at him. Then one day, one day, when the rain began to fall, the fountains of the deep opened up. Reigned 40 days and 40 nights. Only those who were in the ark, symbolizing the Lord Jesus Christ. Only those who are in Christ will be safe. Only those in Christ will be saved from the wrath to come, and the rest of mankind were destroyed. It tells us, 1 Thessalonians 5, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. They will not escape. You may feel peace and security now because you are not at war or fi- and financially you are well off or prepared for that rainy day. You have pretty good wealth insu- health insurance, life insurance. You have no debt and economy is doing great. Unemployment is at its lowest and you feel safe. There's no threat of war coming on our nation. You feel safe. Friend, that's a false security. You are not. If you are not in Christ, you are in grave danger. And politicians and entertainers and news media outlets won't tell you that. Because why? They're in the same boat. They're in the same boat as you. Self-deceived by Satan himself. Thinking all is well. Look, the economy is doing great. Unemployment is low. We've got uh, You've got wealth and things are going well and so on, so on, so on. False security. False security is all going to come to an end. Crashing hold all at once when Christ returns. Urge you to flee to Christ today and hide yourself in Him. Or else you will be among those in the mountains, crying out to the mountains to fall on you. Let's look at a couple points of application. As I've been saying all along, Christ is the only safe refuge against God's wrath, and we you must. If you don't know Him today, run to Him. Run to Him today. If you wait, it will be too late. Many of you self-deceive. You know, by and by, I'll get right with the Lord. By and by, I'll, I'll, I'll make my profession. I'll bow the knee to Jesus. By, I'm too young. I got a life to live. I'm not old enough. When I die on my deathbed, I, I'll, I'll make things right. Stop fooling yourself. Death comes upon us. Christ's return can come sudden. That's Satan's lie and deception of mankind. Today is a day of salvation. You have no guarantee you're going to live another minute. Neither do I. I could drop dead right here from preaching. That would be great. (laughs) None of us have a guarantee. Nobody signed a contract. God, I signed this contract. I'm going to give you so many days. Okay, signed God. Here you go. No, none of us. Absolutely no one. There is no security or refuge in this world. It is destined for destruction. This world is destined for destruction. The relative stability and security you enjoy now Uh, 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 and just the yearly cycle, you know, we're seeing the spring. Oh, yeah, everything's going to continue as they are. Flowers blooming, trees are budding, grass is turning green again. Hey, the natural, normal cycle, world's going to continue forever the same way it's been, you know, spring, summer, and winter. I have news for you. That's not going to be so, not going to be so. Heed the warning. Christ came to bear the wrath of God on the cross on our behalf. And He invites us to flee to Him now. Confess your sin today. Repent of them. Ask God to forgive you on account of what Christ has done for you. Put your trust in Him. And if you want to speak to us, we would love to speak to you afterwards about your soul and and your eternity. Secondly, Christ's return is a call for us as believers to live and to preach like Noah. To live and to preach like Noah. First, he lived with judgment day readiness. He lived with judgment day readiness. Noah believed God that it was going to... God told him, Noah, I'm going to destroy this world. Start building an ark. We don't read that Noah said not one word other than basically, yes, Lord. And he goes right to work doing what God told him to do. Noah believed that that God, that he was going to make an end of all flesh on the earth and through the flood, he's going to destroy the world. Do you believe that Christ is coming back and God is going to bring judgment on the world? If If so, how is that impacting your life today? You see, Noah believed it but he didn't say, God, I, I believe you're going to do it. But he did nothing about it. He didn't prepare. He didn't go out and cut down wood. He didn't start making planks. He didn't start building the ark. He just says, God is going to do it. But it's not affecting his life day to day. Day to day. What does it mean to live with judgment day readiness? Well, like Noah, we are to believe God's word and to obey it. Believe God's word and obey it. He believed God that he was going to bring the flood. And he started building. Are we walking in obedience to the word as it applies to our different areas of life? Are we walking in accordance how it applies to our finances, to our marriage, to our recreation, to our attendance on the means of grace? to our using of our gifts to serve the body? Are we putting to practice? Are we really believing God's word? Or is it just up here? Is it impacting our lives today? That's the question. It's not, oh, I want to do great things for God. Oh, I got my great dreams. I want to go to the end of the world and preach the gospel. No, friend, what are you doing with what God has given you now? How are you obeying him now in the day to day? As a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, how are you obeying him now? Forget those grandiose ideas. What does God have to say to you now in the day-to-day of your work and your work life and your marriage and whatever calling that you have presently? How are you serving the body? How are you using your gifts to the glory of God? Going on, a, getting on a plane and going into a foreign world doesn't make you a missionary. I have bad news for you. That doesn't make you a missionary. Brother David can tell you that. You get to the field and you're like, what do I do? You know, you're lost. No, you begin where you are. You're a missionary here. Begin here. Aren't there people here that need to be saved? Do you have to go to China to save people? What about the people around you? Begin here. So you obey. So to live with judgment day readiness is, one, to obey the word of God as it applies to you in your everyday life, now and here. Second, play, living in Judgment Day readiness means that we are not anxious for our lives, knowing that everything will be, is destined for destruction. If you know this world is destined for destruction, are you going to be worried about your house and your car and your, your wealth and your this and your. You're not going to be so anxious about all those things. Because all one day that's all going to be destroyed. It's going to burn. That our tre- We have to remind ourselves our treasures are in heaven. Our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are passing through. We must remind ourselves of that. That's the second thing of what it means to live with judgment day readiness. Third, to live with judgment day readiness means we are to live in holiness of life as we read in second peter 3 you can turn there for a moment second peter 3:11 second peter 3:11 we read the following since all these things are thus to be dissolved what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting and, and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven, new earth in which righteousness dwells. He says, knowing these things are going to take place. What's he talking about? Mean the end of time. Knowing that this will happen. Now, when did he write that? 2,000 years ago. And here we are, the end of time hasn't come. He's telling believers then, here's how you need to live in light of whenever that day is. Here's how you need to live. You need to live in holiness and godliness of life. If holiness and godliness doesn't mark you, then you are not living in judgment day readiness. Amen? I'm not hearing Amen. Amen. Second thing we learned about Noah is that he was a preacher of righteousness. Preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2.5 tells us that. He warned people of the judgment to come. If we truly believe this horrific day is coming, we will be more evangelistic. Simple as that. If we truly believe that people's soul are at stake, we will be more evangelistic. We will be warning people to flee to Christ from the wrath Come now, do it. No doubt, I didn't address this, but no doubt in your mind, you're asking the question, What is going to happen to believers? What is going to happen to believers during that time? Well, we're told in other parts of scripture, and that's my third point of application, that Christ's return will be a welcome sight to believers. And the passage that speaks of his coming, remember, we read about that second, second Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, verse 9 and, and t- talks about he's coming with his mighty angels with a fire and vengeance on those who don't know the Lord. well verse 10 tells us, when he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. we will glory in him and marvel in amazement and admire admiration at his glory and majesty. Matthew 24, we read that earlier, twenty four thirty one. It says, and he will send out angel, angels with a loud trumpet call and they will g- uh, gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. So what happens is as he's coming and he's coming for vengeance and he's coming for judgment on those who don't know the Lord, at the same time, these angels are gathering all the elect and bringing them, gathering them from the four winds of the heavens, the earth. And they will be with the Lord. As it says in First Thessalonians 4.17, we will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The details of that only the Lord knows, but we know that the, that the people of God will be spared. They, we are not under judgment. The unbelievers will be. But our judgment has been absor- uh, 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 absorbed by our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is no wrath coming to us. We don't hide in any any, uh, mountains or rocks. But we will be gathered up by the angels to be with the Lord forever. So brethren, this language of judgment is not meant to terrify us believers, but rather to assure us that Christ is coming back for us and justice will be done. That's what we take away from this. Let us then, as it says in Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the, great, of, of, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good work. Amen. I think Bob is leading us in prayer.